Have you ever spilled something and like came with a million pieces, maybe like Legos? Have you ever spilled food or a drink and you weren't really even sure where to begin the cleanup and so you just asked the question, well, now what do I do? Right now, we're in the middle of a season where there's a million Lego pieces on the floor of our lives that is 2020. Um, first off, with politics. This week, we have an election that is dividing our country with a mail-in ballot system that is new to many people, with results likely to take longer to sort out than we're accustomed to. All while some people are going to be asking, can their president-elect actually make changes that are going to help our country? While other people are going to be disappointed that the country is probably going to go a little bit of a different direction than they hoped for. And we ask the question, well, now what? Uh, secondly, with COVID-19, we are all fatigued with protocols and procedures and expectations regarding COVID. Um, on top of all that, millions of people are struggling financially, with all families learning a new education model and everyone stuck in their house much more than they ever dreamed of. Um, number three, racial justice. Our country is continuing and further recognizing the systemic racism that is hurting our brothers and sisters of color. And so we're all asking the question, well, now what? So in this series, we're asking the question, now what, to help us deal with the next few weeks of situations that are going to come our way when we're left asking the question, well, now what? And last week, we started by exploring the idea of certainty. And certainty is something that really has defined us as 21st century people. And while COVID-19 has sort of shown us that there's not a whole lot to be certain about, we all want certainty. And really, it's, one, it's an important thing for us because we want clarity. We want control. We want security. We want certainty. And for most of us, we've made an idol out of certainty. And in the Greek language, the idea of idolatry or serving an idol um, really is two words sort of put together. The first word, I'm sort of referring to the idea of serving or worshiping or sort of giving your attention to something. And the second word being a ghost, an illusion or something false. With the implication being that making an idol out of certainty is like worshiping a ghost or worshiping an illusion. That worshiping something that looks like something but doesn't actually have any strength or power behind it. It would sort of be like going to San Francisco and taking a ladder and trying to lean it up against the fog. It's not going to hold it. It doesn't have any strength behind it. That idols are not idols because of the value that's inherently in them. Idols are idols because of the premium value that we place on them. And all of us, especially in our day and age, place premium value on control, on clarity, on security. We place value on certainty. And it's easy for us. I'm not immune to it. Uh, you're not immune to it, I don't think. It's easy for all of us to make an idol out of certainty. So the question would be, well, how do you know if you've made an idol out of certainty? Well, we have one question that will hopefully help us to sort of get an indicator on if you've made an idol out of certainty. The thing is that we have to be honest about it. You can't sort of deceive yourself or sort of come up with a different answer. You have to be honest about it. So the question is this, do you feel anxiety or fear around the possibility of losing fill in the blank? That usually we fill in this blank with something around the idea of, of power and control. And this is really extremely relevant to us right now because in many ways, we've all lost control over the circumstances of our lives. And many of us are feeling anxious or fearful about the possibility of our presidential candidate losing. So what rises up on you when you think about the possibility of losing that person, that thing, that place, that symbol of power or control in your life? Because interestingly, for the first three centuries after Jesus's life, the early church found themselves in a very different position. They didn't fear losing power and control because they didn't have any power or control. However, around the fourth century, uh, Christians moved from being an oppressed minority to gaining positions of power. 
And the way that Christians started to look at their faith also sort of started to shift over that same time as well. It shifted from being oppressed and having to hide at times to now being in power and looking to secure their positions of power in the culture. And this started 300 years after Jesus and it runs all the way up to us today. But the most dangerous part of this shift was sort of something shifted in their faith and their belief, that their faith shifted from who they believe in to what they believe about. From we place our faith and trust in Jesus to now what we believe about a thing or an idea. That believe was not meant to be a verb about a thing. Believe is meant to be a verb about a person. That we lean, lean the weight of the ladder of our lives against a person, Jesus. If your life was a ladder, what or who would it lean against? What or who is holding it up? What or who are you hoping in? Uh, the physician Luke tells us an interesting story about Jesus and this whole idea. Uh, in the first century, Luke interviewed eyewitnesses and people who were with Jesus and close to Jesus and lived with him um, to give us an accurate account of Jesus' life, the places he went, the things he taught, and what he did. And Luke tells us that Jesus was teaching one day and the house was fully packed because people wanted to hear Jesus. Do you remember when we used to go over to people's houses and be with them? Okay, side note. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15, uh, Luke chapter 5, I should say. We're going to be in the Bible app. If you want to open that up, you can open up the more menu option, click events, and you can find our church. The notes will also be in the chat, in the notes section of the chat. They'll also be on the screen as well. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 17, says this. One day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law were sitting nearby. And if you didn't know, Jesus sort of had this group of people that followed him everywhere that were basically uh, people that had PhDs in Jewish religious law, and they followed him again everywhere. Uh, continuing on, it seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the reason that it seemed that they showed up everywhere is because they really did follow him. They were heretic hunters. They would go and listen and wait and, and hear rabbis and teachers teach, and they would just wait for the moment that they would teach something that was heresy or untrue teaching. Continuing on, and the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. And interestingly, Jesus has this sort of healing power while the Pharisees are sitting there waiting for Jesus to mess up and teach something that's not true. All while that's happening. Verse 18, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. That in the first century, Jewish people believed that um, either this person or the parents had sinned and paralysis was the curse or just sort of the punishment. And like we said last week, they thought that any illness sort of indicated or seemed to indicate and meant that the person or the parents of the person had sinned. And so in this situation, the man who can't walk, either his sin or his parents' sin has caused him to be paralyzed. It gets worse. Because of the paralysis, he would have been considered unclean. And this was sort of a social and religious status that no one wanted. But everyone agreed that this was sort of the case, that this paralyzed man was unclean. He was an outcast in society. And yet, this man has some friends who would risk their own cleanliness for this man's sake and bring him on a, on a mat and bring him to this house. And these friends provide a very interesting contrast about believing about something or believing a what? Because they trusted in a person. That they were willing to set aside the things that they were probably pretty certain about, that every Jewish boy believed that you don't touch an unclean person so you don't become unclean yourself. But they set that aside. They set aside those rules and their certainty. And so why would the friends bring a paralyzed man to this house? Well, we find out, Luke tells us, they tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. 
So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles that they wanted to get him to Jesus. That was the reason why they carried him on this mat to this house. And his friends, his friends were willing to question their own beliefs and everything they were sort of certain about because apparently there was someone who could change things. Apparently there was someone that they trusted enough to risk and at the expense of their own reputation that they were willing to walk into the uncertainty and the possibility that this teacher could help their friend. They were willing to walk into that challenging tension, but they didn't get to Jesus because of the crowd. And so they start taking tiles off the roof to which the owner, which might've been Peter actually, sort of is probably not happy. Like you're taking tiles off the roof, I don't really like that. But they were desperate to get their friend to Jesus. And have you ever, have you ever noticed that desperate people don't take a desperate friend to the Pharisees? that people who are desperately in need of some sort of miracle or change in their life, they don't look for someone who's judgmental. That people who are in desperate need of miracle, they look for Jesus. And we see this in the next part of the story. Continue on verse 19. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd of the house, right in front of Jesus. And basically they thought that if they made a hole in the roof and then they lowered this man down to Jesus in the house, then Jesus would obviously have to do something for him, right? That's kind of a long ways to go. And Luke tells us what he saw in the friends by what they're doing of lowering this man down. Luke tells us this, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. And Jesus is really talking about the faith of the friends, but also probably the man that's paralyzed because he sort of went along with this interesting plan. But if we were the friends, we probably wouldn't have taken our friend, our paralyzed friend to Jesus so that he could get his sins forgiven, right? That's not the reason we would take him. However, remember in the first century in this time frame, people connected this man's paralysis with his sins. And so it maybe sort of went together. So maybe Jesus was sort of disproving that theory. Maybe Jesus was also sort of indicating that he had God's power in his life. But Jesus tells the man, your sins are forgiven. Now, remember though, the Pharisees are right there watching, waiting for Jesus to say something that's not true or heretical. Verse 21, but the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, they didn't even say it out loud, Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. So remember, they're heretic hunters. They're just sort of waiting for the moment that that Jesus says something that goes against the certainty of their Jewish laws and their Jewish teachings. And in many ways, we're like the Pharisees. We worship certainty. We worship certainty so much so that, um, that when our certainty is contradicted, we have the tendency to assume the contradiction is an enemy. So here's one of the points for today. When anything contradicts our certainty, we turn it into opposition to our certainty. I don't know if this is helpful for you, but I need to repeat this for myself a little bit. When anything contradicts our certainty, we turn it into the opposition to our certainty. It's our first response. It was the Pharisees' first response because they couldn't comprehend the fact and the possibility even that perhaps Jesus is God. And so they decide to pose this contradiction to their certainty. And we all do this. We do this with COVID. We do this with politics. We do this with systemic racism. That when anything contradicts our certainty, we set up opposition to it. And when we focus on what we believe, questions and self-examination pose a threat. And when this happens, you stop asking important questions. I stop asking important questions. When this happens, Um, you start revolving everything around what you believe. And I start revolving everything around what I believe instead of who I'm trusting in. What contradiction to your certainty have you turned into opposition? 
How could focusing on trusting Jesus impact that thing? Jesus has just forgiven the paralyzed man's sins, and the Pharisees were certain Jesus couldn't do that. And then Jesus gives us one of the most powerful clapbacks or comebacks that you'll probably ever hear, because the people didn't just have to be careful about what they said around Jesus. The people had to be careful what they thought around Jesus, because Jesus knew their thoughts. Continuing on verse 22, Jesus knew what they were thinking, and so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? That Jesus knew their thoughts and Jesus knew that they viewed this contradiction to their certainty as opposition to their view of God. And so Jesus says, here's what I'm going to do. Verse 24. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. If you think that I don't have the power to forgive sins, then how about I heal someone right in front of you? Will that prove to you that I am from God? Continuing on, verse 25. And immediately as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. But the man didn't just stand up. Luke tells us that the man jumped up. And at this moment, who do you think had more certainty in God? The man who was healed, probably, right? The friends who saw that, all the audience who saw this happen. And at this moment, who do you think had less certainty in God? The Pharisees. And part of the reason the Pharisees had less certainty was because they were more desperate for certainty than they were for God. And is there something in your life that you're more desperate for than Jesus? Maybe a political win with the president or the house or the senator, or some local political race. Maybe you're more desperate for a cultural change. Maybe you're more desperate for success than you are for Jesus. Is there something you're so fearful of losing rather than having Jesus? Is there someone's affection or attention towards you that you would rather have than Jesus's attention? And if so, maybe we are worshiping just like the, the Pharisees, an idol rather than Jesus himself. And remember, an idol is a ghost or an illusion or something that doesn't actually have power. And maybe God has allowed something in your life to destroy the idol of certainty that you're worshiping right now. And if you don't know, in the Old Testament, there's kind of this constant conversation about tearing down the high places. That over time, people would eventually start worshiping pagan gods or idols, and they would sort of look to the high places. They would look to a grove of trees on the high places. They would look to a mountain. They'd look to a hillside, obviously, on a high place. And over time, God would get tired of his people looking to or worshiping idols or pagan gods. So he would tell them, tear down the high place. That there's something that you're looking to that you've sort of elevated in your life that you need to tear down, you need to destroy, and you need to get rid of. Is there a certainty idol that maybe you need to tear down so that you can actually trust in Jesus? Because the writer of Proverbs says it this way, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And the implication is that we need to be women and men. We need to be students and children. We need to be uh, young adults and seniors who understand and who's, who's at the steering wheel of our lives. Who's in control? Is it our certainty, clarity, control? Or maybe is it Jesus in our lives? Because who or what you are leaning the full weight of your life on is important. So these are my kids. They're going to help us out with a little illustration here. Uh, kids, how much do you guys weigh combined, do you think? 90. About 90 pounds, about 40 and 50 pounds each. So I want you to do something for me. Can you guys hold this ladder while I climb up it? 
I don't know if that's a good idea. Do you think I can hold it? I don't think so. They're kind of thinking, uh-oh, I think dad like weighs a little bit more than 90 pounds, right? So they're not so sure about this. Um, and as cool and as awesome as my kids are, they can't do it because why? They're just not strong enough. They don't have enough strength. And this is exactly what it looks like when we sort of put our trust or create an idol in something other than Jesus. When we put our trust in the economy, when we put our trust in a presidential candidate, a politician, a relationship, um, basically anything outside of the person of Jesus, which I think is why the writer of Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but trust in him. So watch how this changes when I flip it. Okay, Jensen Braden, I want you guys to climb up the ladder because I'm going to hold it and I'm a little bit stronger and have more power. Go ahead, Jensen. And Braden, you follow her up. That basically, they, they don't necessarily hesitate too much because they know that I'm bigger and that I can probably hold this. And when we put our trust in God, we're doing the same thing. We're leaning the weight of their lives, leaning the weight of our lives on God. And I'm able to hold this for a long time and I'm not all that strong, but I'm stronger than they are. And so I'm able to help hold this ladder and they can lean on me and trust that I'm gonna help hold them up. Thanks guys. So we have to ask ourselves, what are we leaning the weight of our lives on? The friends of the paralyzed man, the paralyzed man would tell us that leaning on Jesus instead of things won't give us certainty in this life, but it is the better option. And the thing is though, that no one watching right now is saying, no, I'm gonna trust in the economy. No, I'm gonna trust in my politician. And yet when we lean our lives on anything other than the person of Jesus, we're leaning our lives on something as weak as a ghost or an illusion. And this is what happens when we lean our lives on anything else. It comes crashing down eventually. And it's as bad as that ladder dropping and our lives sort of shatter because our trust is in nothing eventually. That if you're trusting on the economy, if you're trusting on being secure, or being successful, if you're trusting on a politician, if you're trusting on anything other than the person of Jesus, you're leaning your weight on something that can't hold you up because Jesus is the only one who can hold you up. And you might be certain and judgmental like a Pharisee or you might be sort of creating an idol out of certainty in your life. And I would encourage you to tear that idol or tear that high place down. To put Jesus in that high place. Lean the weight of your life on Jesus because again, he's the only one who can actually hold you up. And for politics, it really doesn't take too long to realize, if we're honest with ourselves, that our political candidate isn't perfect, that our political party is eventually going to let us down, that people from both political parties have ethics violations and affairs and on and on and on. And if we're honest, um, it really is, that's the case. And so let me warn you, this week, if your politician loses and you are utterly devastated, you might have already put your trust in something other than Jesus. Or you might have been looking to the certainty that you thought was there with that politician. But if your candidate wins, let me also warn you that you're probably getting dangerously close to putting your trust in a political candidate other than, rather than Jesus. And for the economy, it really doesn't make any sense for us to do it, but sometimes we put our trust in the economy. Because if you look back at March, if you look at many other times in history, the economy will never hold us up forever. It'll eventually let us down as well. So leaning on Jesus, not on other things instead of other things, it won't bring us certainty in this life, but it is the better option. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for his life. Thank you for these stories that help teach us where we should put our trust. That we should put our trust in you, and we sort of want that to lead to some certainty, and yet you're a God that we can't put in a box and, 
We're not exactly certain about how you will act. And so God, with the uncertainty of life and, and trying to understand a huge God like you, would you help us to step towards trust? That we would trust you in the uncertainty of life and not knowing what this life might hold, but knowing the certainty that you are there for us and that you love us. God, would you give us eyes to see the idols in our lives that we're leaning on instead of you? Those things that we lean on that really can't hold us up, whatever they might be in our lives. Those other people who it's really unfair for us to even ask them to hold us up. God, our need for certainty and control that might need to be torn down today. God, in this season, would you teach us to trust you each day? Would you help us to trust you with the full weight of our lives leaning on you? God, would you give us the courage to climb the ladder of our lives when it's leaning against you and you alone? God, for those who are struggling with this to put their trust in an unseen God, would you help them to experience you in a powerful way today, right now, maybe throughout this week, in the weeks to come? Would you help them to know somehow that they can trust you. Thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you for inviting us into a relationship where we can lean on you when we really can't lean on anything else in this world. Would you help us to lean on you today? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.